Hello, hi, my name is Tess. I am a, a stoner, a pothead, and marijuana addict, and I am very, very grateful to be in recovery and to have had this opportunity um, to talk about it tonight. Um, definitely have been feeling anxious all day about sharing. Yeah, feelings, um, feeling things in sobriety, man. Um, so I do want to try and stick to the uh, experience, strength, and hope um, of my experience with marijuana and finding MA. You know, my experience before I started using, you know, I was, when I think about me as a little kid, I was happy. Um, I was athletic, but I was also always very tense. Um, you know, I grew up in a household with young parents. I was the third of the youngest of three girls. And my parents were, they were great, but they were young and they didn't have the coping skills that they needed to communicate in healthy ways. So uh, my sisters and I were subjected to a lot of very volatile fights and arguments. And, you know, I have memories of going and hiding in the van in the garage with my sister uh, to avoid having to feel the intensity of those situations. So I've been tense, I think, a lot of my life um, as a result of just that, that it, those experiences. You know, other things before I started using that I think kind of shaped who I was is um, I was subjected, you know, to um, some unfortunate situations. You know, I was molested when I was in fourth grade and that created uh, more anxious intenseness. And it also was something that, though we addressed and, and dealt with the best that we could as a family, I was a kid, obviously, so I didn't know how to communicate about that or how to recover from that because I was so young. You know, so life went on. I stayed active in sports. That's how I found my my way to stand out in the family was being athletic and also being very happy, easygoing. I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to cause any problems for anyone. I just wanted everything to be okay. And so our family moved a couple times, and we ended up in the Central Coast. And so when I was about 16, you know, unfortunately, I was in another situation where I was uh, molested again. And that's kind of for me, it was one of my turning points from before addiction. Before that point, you know, I had some pre, you know, dispositions for probably abuse coming up in life, but um, that one was when I really started drinking more, and I really, uh, you know, I found marijuana. A friend of mine that I was going to school with, um, he needed rides to school, so he would offer to smoke me out if I would give him a ride to school. So that was a great friendship. You know, we became honest, like lifelong friends for, well, not lifelong, but really good friends for a really long time. And when I first started smoking, I was, so I was about 16 years old, and I kind of found an identity away from being athletic. Um, you know, I quit playing sports. I kind of quit worrying about a lot of the things I used to worry about being when I was growing up, I now just got stoned and found my group of stoner friends I could fit in with and be rebellious with. That really, at, in the beginning, of, you know, it was really nice. <laughs> it was nice to feel like 
I had this community of people um, that understood me and I could be myself and be goofy and not so judgmental of myself and others. But I, you know, I definitely realized pretty quick, you know, it didn't take long, honestly, from going and getting smoked out on my way to school to needing to figure out how to buy drugs for myself. I remember that feeling of like, I can't just wait anymore. Like I need to have control of this. I need to be able to access this on my own and not be dependent on other people. So that, that part progressed quick and it really became part of my identity being a stoner. That was, you know, I'd rock the Rasta colors and the pot lease and I was just proud little stoner girl. Um, loved going to festivals. I loved being free. I loved the ideal, the ideas and ideal like feelings that came from that kind of community. But it really was determining you know, who I was friends with, who I would date. You know, the reality was if it wasn't even like if you smoked pot, like you had to smoke as much pot. Otherwise, I felt uncomfortable. So, you know, I needed friends that used like I used, not casual people, like intense. I needed to be around intense stoners. So my use wasn't so, uh, I didn't have to think about what a problem I had. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I started, you know, finding some people I could hang out with that used like I used. I dated drug dealers to, from you know, filling my ego and, of course, helping my uh, my need to find and, and get marijuana for myself. I definitely stole from people during my use. I would, not often, but I would steal pot from friends, pinch nugs from my boyfriend, and I felt bad about it, but it was unfortunately just this, like, in dire circumstances, what I felt like I had to do. So um, that, you know, that part went on for another five years, just, of, you know, from 16 to 21, just really digging in on uh, being a pretty solid pothead. Um, and then at 21, I actually got in a car accident. And I was sober at the time, and I remember how I was so happy I was sober because I'd feel so dumb if I was stoned. And, like, some weird rationalization about how I was, I don't know, happy about that. But that car accident, I didn't have my seatbelt on and I ended up in the passenger side with my head against the window and uh, knocked myself out. And um, that was a pretty scary situation. You know, my, my youth continued. And about six months after that car accident, I had a seizure and I'd never had one. I actually wasn't, it was a tonic clonic or more of a grand mal. So I lost consciousness. Um, my boyfriend told me about it at the time and, you know, told my parents and started seeing doctors. And long story short, I did end up having more seizures. So I was diagnosed with uh, epilepsy in my, uh, right around my 21st birthday. And that was kind of the first major thing that happened in my use where I was already using that something major in my life happened and my use really escalated. I've always thought about my addiction as these stepping stairs of every time I had to deal with something that was really felt intense for me, my use increased and then it would stay at that new level and something else would happen and I'd increase again and stay at that level. And that kind of is just how my addiction progressed, you know, these life events that I didn't know how to deal with. And, you know, with epilepsy, that was, you know, I was already had my marijuana uh, license because I live out in California. And 
that just made me feel really justified being a pothead. <laughs> it was a little bit of like, oh, it's good for epilepsy, even though technically my kind of epilepsy really has nothing to do with marijuana or can benefit from it. And I definitely had a victim. I was like, poor me. Like, I've had a hard life. I deserve to be able to get high. I'm doing my best, and using marijuana was what I get, you know, because life, you know, I didn't get dealt the hand of cards I wanted. And so, you know, using, like I said, my using increased. Um, A couple years later, when I was about 23, is the first time I went to an addiction specialist. Uh, I saw their therapist that specialized in addiction. You know, I talked to my my parents about it. Um, there was it was no secret that I was smoking pot for many many years, um, and my parents viewed it. Though they didn't like it, they kind of viewed it like drinking. Um, you know, some people can do it casually, and that's you know what it is. But my I knew I had a problem. Like I knew really early on, I couldn't put it down, and I couldn't cut back, and I couldn't. There was nothing but getting really, really high um, and using all day long. Um, so I, that's when I, yeah, got my parents to sign me up to see an addiction specialist. That was like the first time I tried to address it, but I, I wasn't ready. You know, I, I took that, I dipped my toes in the water, per se, at that point. And then I went back to using. And uh, a few years later, I, I did the classic. I moved out of state. I moved up to Oregon, um, up to Portland, because my mom and my sister had relocated up there. And that was another attempt I made during my youth to to quit using because all my friends I grew up with, they all, you know, they smoked pot. And I I seemed to be the only one struggling with it as far as, I mean, you wouldn't know I was struggling. I was getting stoned all the time and probably looked like I enjoyed the hell out of my my 20s. And, And I did. But I also, like, inside I had a lot of turmoil and a lot of frustration and I really struggling um so when I moved away I tried to get sober and that did not last long um I remember the first job I went to they did a drug test and it was just so embarrassing because I don't even know why I went like I knew I was using um and I got the results back and they basically obviously I did not get the job so I finally, I was able to, like, put it down long enough to pass uh, oral swab. I think that's what it was. It wasn't, like, a pee test or anything. So I finally got a job. Um, and at this point, too, uh, this was my first corporate job because of my epilepsy and my age. I was off of my dad's health care, and I needed health care. So I couldn't, I could no longer get away with working at mom and pop shops and not having drug tests. Like, this is the point in my life where I had to kind of, grow up a little bit, get a real, not a real job. I've got a job at a grocery store, but find a job that had healthcare so I could provide that for myself. And that job ended up being really incredible for me. So I kept that job uh, while I was in Portland. And then I met uh, a guy when I was up there who was visiting a friend. Um, He was from Texas. So I relocated to the Dallas Fort area of Texas with this new person and that was kind of one of those other life moments when my using really increased because when I moved to Oregon I was I was still around my family I still had some friends up there because there's like a little mass migration from my hometown to Portland but moving to Texas uh I was really out of my comfort zone I didn't have any friends or family around me and I got really depressed 
and my using kind of took on a new a new level and that stayed that way for a really long time life was hard up and down but I was maintaining uh nothing made you know at this point fallacy of functionality life was fine I was functioning whatever but then my mom got sick she was diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer when I was 34 years old and um, this is in 2017 I got the phone call in July and that was really gut-wrenching um, I moved back home to California within a few months and lived with my mom and my boyfriend at the time decided to come with me and you know I'm really grateful I, I knew I needed to be home and be around my mom that was, I'm so grateful for that. You know, unfortunately, I was deep in my addiction. And that was an incredibly hard, stressful, agonizing uh, reality that my mom was dying. There was nothing I could do about it. And all I could do was try and be there. And unfortunately, being there was more physical than emotional or mental because I was smoking pot every day and trying to go to work 40 hours a week so that I could afford living back in California. It was really hard. It was really, really hard. My mom um, was so brave. Uh, she did, uh, she made it seven months before she passed away in February of 2018. And I was still, you know, that was my use, like during this whole time had absolutely increased. My depression was, everything was really, I didn't know it at the time, but my life was getting to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. Um, I was still functioning right now, but things were coming to a head. So um, after she passed, my boyfriend and I moved to another apartment in the same community. Um, I just tried to continue on with my life. I was, you know, getting stoned, going to work, getting stoned, going to work, you know, Groundhog's Day, life on repeat. And within, I think, eight months, you know, my inheritance was gone. I emotionally, mentally, and physically was broken. I, um, I think this was my first rock bottom. I remember I was so depressed and so deep in my addiction. Um, I would just kind of sit in the dark all day and get high and then go to work because I had to because I needed money. But there was the day came where I couldn't go to work. I drove to work and I couldn't get out of my car. I physically could not get out of the car. I was sobbing and I was just at my wit's end of everything. And that was like really the first rock bottom I've ever experienced. And it was so hard and so deep. Um, and luckily I had a parent I could call. I called my dad, told him what was going on, told him what, you know, that I, my addiction is out of control. My money's gone. I'm struggling mentally you know like I said mentally emotionally physically spiritually like every I was done so we were able to move back into my dad's house um, in the central coast of California and I decided I wanted to check myself into rehab um, so I checked myself into a, a rehab in Santa Barbara it was actually really beautiful it's called Casa Serena and um, it was a you know all women this house we all lived together and that was probably that was another big attempt I made to get sober and address the fact that I didn't know what to do with myself anymore. Um, but I also wasn't prepared for what you know rehab would be like. I was 
with uh, women who we all obviously struggled from different addictions. And I had already experienced marijuana, you know, being discounted because a pothead wasn't, not that it wasn't good enough for an addiction, but just that reality, you know, that not taking it seriously. And, and I still had a part of me that didn't take it seriously because I, I grew up too thinking pot couldn't be addictive. Like, you know, thinking that it's not as bad as these other addictions I could have. And I felt undeserving in a way to be at, at a rehab, inpatient rehab. And um, I was also really sensitive. So being around other people struggling, um, it was really hard. And some stuff went down at the house and I kind of, I put myself in a position to uh, not be liked, which, you know, is what it is. And um, I ended up leaving after just two weeks at rehab. It was a three-month program that my dad paid for, and I left after two weeks. It was, it sucked. Um, I was really disappointed in myself. I was really, felt like I was letting down my dad and my family and the ones that loved me. So went back home to my dad's house and I relapsed within a few days of being clean for a couple of weeks. But what I did get from rehab, this, from that rehab was I found AA. You know, part of rehab is going to AA meetings. And I always thought it was really interesting because I remember thinking like, everyone knows what AA is. Like in our society, I think we all grow up and like, pretty much most people have heard of AA, but it's very different when you actually have to go to AA. <laughs> and I was just like that pivotal little weird moment. I'm like, holy shit. Now I know it in a different way, very different way. So when I got back home um, after I relapsed, I did start trying to go back, you know, to the AA meetings in my hometown. MA, I wasn't aware of yet. So I'm really grateful for our uh, grandfather program introducing me to the 12 steps, but I was super rebellious. I, did not like the 12-step program. I did not like all the male pronouns. I did not, I was so rebellious and trying to find any reason to not like it, even though I wanted to like it. It was such a conundrum because I, I knew I needed something. I was obviously going to AA because I had an addiction issue. Um, but yet every time I went, all I could do was mentally fight the fact. I remember going through my first big book and like, instead of highlighting the things that were useful to me, I was highlighting the things I didn't like about it. <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I kept going. <laughs> That's the most important part for me is I didn't stop. I kept going. I tried to stay open-minded. And um, I was able to get nine months sober going to those AA meetings in my hometown. And I'm so grateful for those nine months. But I wasn't working a program. I was white knuckling it. I didn't get a sponsor because I didn't want to do this 12 steps. I didn't take suggestions. I didn't do the 90 meetings in 90 days. I didn't, they say don't date in a year. I dated someone in, in my AA uh, group and ended up relapsing together. And it was my fault. It was, I wanted to relapse and I, I brought someone down with me. Um, so that sucked, you know, but I was also, I got nine months and that was huge to me. Um, and I also wasn't done trying to quit. So, you know, addiction kicked back in full gear, uh, using, like they say, just as much and just as often, if not more. Um, you know, still at my dad's house, still trying to find my way uh, to recovery. And um, I remember trying to get sober that second time um, was really hard. 
I remember there was one day I felt in so much pain, like the emotional pain of trying to get sober felt so physical and so intense. I was like on the floor having a, a fit like a child on my hands and knees, like scream crying because I didn't want to relapse again, but I also really wanted to get high. <laughs> and that like inner conflict was the insanity of addiction. It was so painful, not wanting to do something that I wanted to do. Um, but I made it through that day. And I had another experience where I had ordered some pot for delivery because I decided I was going to relapse. I was giving in. And the good thing I did is I told my dad. And I, I don't know why I think it was sinking in, like some of the things people told me. So I told my dad, you know, I was having pot delivered and I was, I was really sorry, but just kind of preparing him for the blow. And he asked me if it was too late to cancel the, cancel the delivery. And I really didn't want to. I really didn't, but I did. I canceled that delivery and I stayed sober because I reached out for help. Um, yeah, that was really good. Um, but I did end up relapsing again pretty that attempt did not last nearly as long as those nine months. Um, eventually I moved uh, into my uncle's house into uh, Thousand Oaks, which is just, you know, about a couple hours south of my dad's. I, um, when I first moved back to California, this is kind of the area I moved to, so I had found some good work as a florist, which is why that job at the grocery store worked out to be really wonderful. I was able to transfer with them from Portland to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and when I was in Dallas and Fort Worth, I found the floral department, and I found that I really liked designing flowers, and I was really good at it. And I discovered I really liked managing and bookkeeping, and I learned a lot of skills in that job. And when I came out to California, I transferred again, but then I also started working for a mom-and-pop flower shop. And that's the job I wanted to go back to when I got healthy enough to start working again, because when I moved back to my dad's, I didn't work for about a year, year and a half. And I am really grateful I was able to get on uh, disability for my depression at that time, actually, because that gave me the financial support and time to go to meetings and get those nine months over. Um, but that time was up, and I had to go back to work, and I needed to get sober again. So I moved back south, moved into my uncle's, and I got a therapist. That was another good thing I did for myself that I needed. Um, I had a lot of work I had to do on myself. And I just remember going to therapy twice a week. And I, she was, I, it was, and it sucks. It makes me so mad. It was, she's amazing. Like, I'm so grateful for my therapist, but it is expensive because she was an addiction specialist. And that breaks my heart. Um, a lot of things, obviously, about addiction break my heart. And it just sucks that the help we often, I, I'm sorry, the help I needed was costly, and I am incredibly grateful that I had, um, you know, my dad that was willing to still help me and hadn't kind of thrown in the towel yet. So I, I just remember uh, seeing my therapist, and she was like, well, when do you want to come in? And I said, I have, the only time I, I think would be best is coming in immediately after work, because at this point, I was pretty good at not getting stoned before work. I was never really a, a wake and bake kind of person. Um, I had too much anxiety, <laughs> so I'd always go to work. Um, but once work was over, that's all. Then the rest of the day was just a haze. So I said, if I can just come after work and immediately see you, then I'll be sober, or at least 
not as hungover as I was earlier in the day from the night before. And I saw her for months um, while I was using uh, marijuana. And I just remember so often she would say, are you going to be able to go home and abstain today? And I just said, no. Like, my, the minute I walked in the office, my addiction was like, let's go. Like, let's get this over with and go home. But I kept going because I wanted to fucking get sober. And I kept going to these appointments. I kept talking about my shit. I kept bringing it to the light. And during that process, I also found MA. Um, Because I had talked to her about how I found AA and how it was really helpful. I also, you know, I'm not great at drinking. I definitely would qualify as an alcoholic because when I drink, I don't know when to stop. Um, And with epilepsy, I shouldn't be drinking. And that alone, the fact that I was still continuing while knowing I shouldn't be, that's a problem. So grateful for AA, but talking to my therapist, you know, my, I knew my real problem was pot and I knew I wanted support for that. And so we found MA online and I'm, I was baffled um, when I started reading about it and reading the history. <laughs> the first meeting they had was in Morro Bay, like when the North and the South got together for their first like group conscience or what so. It was in Morro Bay, which is like 20 minutes from where I was at my dad's house. It was so close. And I remember reading that, our history a little bit, and it was just, oh, it felt fucking, it felt so good. Like, it makes me want to cry now. It felt so good to know I wasn't alone. And that, like, there were people out there that were struggling like I was. And I felt so validated and so understood without even talking to anyone yet or going to a meeting. But I was like, there's fucking, there's hope. Like, there's people like me that are dealing with this. So much so that they made a program out of it. So I eventually started going to MA. Um, my first MA meeting was actually a Zoom meeting. And I didn't have the best experience because it was kind of unstructured. It was like a crosstalk meeting and uh, it was like really long. But I found the phone lines pretty quick after. And that and has been and is my jam. I love these phone lines. I am so grateful for these phone lines. Um, They've, they've changed my life. Um, so once I was, you know, getting sober for me, I've had people ask, like, what, what was it? What, how did you do it? What was that moment? And, you know, the reality is it was just a lot of different moments for me. And I just kept trying. And I think that's the biggest thing is I didn't quit trying to get sober. I didn't quit trying to quit. And one day I got one day sober. And then... I made it to two days, and I just kept going to meetings, and I kept listening in, and eventually I got the courage, and I heard someone sharing on a meeting, and I just had this pull. I was like, That's, I want them as my sponsor, and I, I reached out, and I got my first, um, my first sponsor in MA, and that's when my, God, my sobriety journey really began. You know, it's funny, actually. Let me pull out my... I like to write down dates sometimes. So I started my sponsorship. Well, I got sober on January 20th of 2021. And within a couple months, on uh, March 5th, is when I started my sponsorship as a sponsee. Um, And then talked to my sponsor every week probably a couple times a week at that point for a month 
and it looks like I started my steps on April 7th. That's when I started my step work in this program. And I, I just, I'm so grateful that our program gives so much freedom to do things at your own pace. Um, you know, I, I took suggestions this time. You know, like I wasn't drinking. I'd given up drinking. I decided I wouldn't date anyone. And, you know, I was suggested don't date for the first year, and I didn't. I did 90 and 90. I, um, when I was ready, I got a service position. And it was all on my own time. And, you know, working through the steps with my sponsor, you know, I'm really grateful. I, for me, you know, I, I didn't do it on my own because on my own, I will find ways to fight it. And with a sponsor, I could talk it out with somebody. They could reflect back to me what I'm dealing with and what my qualms or issues are, and we could deal with them. And I'm, I'm just, I really can't believe it. Where did I write down my sobriety date? So I have 626 days today, clean and sober. It's a year, eight months, and 18 days. And that's absolutely incredible. And I really don't think I could have done it without this 12-step program. And that blows my mind when I say that out loud still, because I really, I fought, I fought the program for so long. I just wasn't ready to give in. And once I got my sponsor, you know, that was, I started softening. And every step, I remember, you know, I was on, you know, I had no idea what the 12 steps really were. And so every time we got to a new step, it was just this new moment of like softening and being open-minded and being willing to try and understand what I, what I needed to understand. And I am, um, you know, I'm on my 11th step, almost done with it. So, you know, it's taken me quite a while, but I'm, I'm super grateful for the time I've had to work on my steps and, you know, my, uh, my strengths, you know, that was all my experience, you know, my before, during, and after. And the strength I've gotten from this is I finally have the chance to become the person I've always wanted to be. And I'm so grateful for that. For a long time, I, don't, I didn't think I had that. But I, I've proven to myself I have that strength. You know, I have the tenacity. I kept trying to quit. And I... I know if I ever, you know, if relapse occurs for me again, that I will keep trying to quit. And I think that's the best I can do for myself. It's just every, you know, every day I'm sober, keep trying to stay sober. If I relapse, keep trying to quit and keep coming back to the program. You know, my um, strength I've gotten from this is really understanding that I have a lot of worth and I am so much more of a person I'm starting to feel whole you know like I'm a better cat mom my cat you know I've I've had pets in the past that <laughs> poor poor guys like I was so absent and now I have an incredible relationship with my cat you know I'm a better daughter I'm a better sister I'm a better co-worker well I uh, another great thing actually that um, happened because of sobriety is I started my own business something I've wanted to do forever. I opened my own floral shop and I am so proud of that. I'm running that opened on February 1st of this year and I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing it and I'm debt free. I have a little bit of savings, not a lot, but I got a little bit 
am. I started dating someone this year, which is incredible and really gnarly because I've never dated someone in sobriety. So thank God for this program because I am learning a lot about how to fourth step situations, about how to take care of myself and put myself first, how to keep my side of the street clean. Um, and I, you know, I finally started going to yoga. It just sounds it's just something I've always wanted to do, but I've never had the ability because I was pre, you know, in addiction. That's all that my life was. I was, I was an addict, and that's all I wanted to do. And now that I'm sober, I'm getting to do things that I want to do, and I am. That's fucking priceless. Sorry for all the f bombs. Um, and my hope, you know, my hope is if I stay close to this program, if I keep showing up for myself and taking care of myself, I'll stay sober. Um, it's easy for me to fall into life uh, and feel like, oh, this is just my normal life now. I'm just a sober person, and I don't use, and it's all gravy, and I can just, like, kick back now and, like, focus on life. Um, I catch that happening, and I need to quickly remind myself that I am still an addict, and I need to still show up for myself and the people around me and the people I love you know, if I don't stay close to this program and give the gift of sobriety to myself, then I can't give anyone around me anything. And I have so much to give. I have so much love and joy and excitement and experiences to give for myself and to others. And my hope, you know, if I stay close, I'm going to be able to continue doing that. And, and I wrote down a note, too, about not being sober for my mom's passing was really painful. Um, I've worked on forgiving myself for that, and I, I, I know my mom would too, and I know she'd be incredibly proud of me right now. And I was just remember, you know, being, reminding myself that my dad's still here, and I'm still going to have to go through the passing of another parent. And I hope that I can maintain my sobriety and stay strong so that when that happens or whatever other hard life situation where in the past I would have used moreover, I hope this time I can be present for. I hope I can show up for the people that need me to show up for them. And I hope that I can just keep being sober um, and not pick up. And if I'm having cravings, I hope I call my sponsor or one of you guys. I, I know I have to. I know I'm an addict, and I know I deserve to be sober. So uh, thank you guys for letting me share this evening. Um, I'm really grateful for each and every one of you who show up to these meetings and to make these phone lines possible because this is my home group. This is how I got sober, and I, I um, that gratitude is endless. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you.